A uh, little over 20 years ago, uh, my mom's dad, my grandfather passed away. He was really important in my life, and I remember making the drive across Iowa and Illinois back for his funeral, just bawling like a baby, thinking about how much I was going to miss him. And uh, some of you can relate to that. Some of you have lost a loved one. Some of you have had a relationship break down. Some of you have had someone break up with you. Some of you have gone through the pain of someone moving away. And you know how hard that is. The best word sometimes to describe it is, your heart's just troubled. Troubled. We're going to talk about that today, and what do we do when our heart's troubled? And I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 14. John 14. I know some of you have gotten used to turning to the Gospel of John, but if you're new with us, don't feel bad if you don't know how to find it yet. It's about three-fourths of the way back. We say this every Sunday. If you didn't bring a Bible yourself, there's red ones in the seat rack in front of you. We'd love for you to take one out and turn to it, put your own finger on the text and follow along. John chapter 14. We're in a series called Encountering Christ. We're studying the Gospel of John almost all year this year. We're going to go all the way to Christmas. As we're making our way through John's gospel, all 21 chapters, we come to chapter 14 today. It's our hope that as we study these encounters that Jesus had, that we'll encounter him too. Encounter him again and again, maybe for the first time for some of you. So as we look at this passage today, what I hope you'll see is, if you're following along in the notes, is that Jesus says, I'm going away. We learned this last week. He said this to his disciples last week in chapter 13. Jesus says, I'm going away, and his 11 disciples, remember Judas had already left, his 11 disciples are troubled. So when Jesus says, I'm going away, it wasn't just an intellectual thing to them. It really made them sad. Their hearts were troubled. The word for troubled here means their hearts shuddered. They were kind of shaken by that. Sometimes my dad used to use the picture of a boat on a stormy sea without an anchor being tossed all over. Just that restlessness, just that, that troubledness. The Bible says is their hearts were troubled. How do we know that? In the very first verse there that I've listed in the notes in that gray box so that we can all read off the same translation, Jesus talks about how their hearts are troubled. So let's read that together. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Now, at first, this sounds like just really insensitive advice. Yeah, don't let your hearts be troubled. But Jesus isn't saying in that spirit. In fact, if you're following along in the notes, what I hope you'll see is that he urges them to trust in him and not stay troubled. That's really the idea there. He urges them to trust in him and not stay troubled. Here's how I know that Jesus is not upset with them about having troubled hearts. Because if you look back in chapter 11, verse 33, you may even want to write these other two references down besides the one I, I gave. If you look back in chapter 11, verse 33, chapter 12, verse 27, and then the one I've listed out to the right in chapter 13, three times in a row Jesus says he's troubled. It's like if troubled is out of bounds, Jesus is out of bounds. No, we saw last week, Jesus is not unaffected by what we're unaffected by. But what he's saying here is that when you're troubled, and you will be in this world, remember John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. And when you have trouble, it's hard not to be troubled. But when you're troubled, 
Don't stay troubled without doing something about it. Trust in me in those times. Now notice, he doesn't just say trust in me. You see verse 1 there, what does he say? Trust in God. Trust also in me. What in the world? We've been learning this whole thing along the way when we encounter Jesus. We are not encountering just a man. We are encountering, as chapter 1 told us, the word became flesh. God came in a body. God in a bod. God in human flesh. Unbelievable. Tremendous thing. And he's saying, trust in God, trust also in me. All three years I've been trying to show you, you can trust in God and me because we are one. And he's going to talk about that the rest of the passage. Now today, here's what I want to do. I'm going to move through these 14 verses much quicker than we normally do. And it's not because they're not important, and it's not because we couldn't spend time talking about lots of things with every one of these verses. Some of this passage is used at funerals to comfort people, and it is powerful. It is deep. In some people's family Bibles, these are some of the most tear-stained passages in their Bible, because there are words here that have such depth that we could camp out a long time. It's not that I don't care about that, it's just that today, what I sense we're really supposed to gather and think about is one verse. It's what Jesus says to every person, troubled heart or not, and that's John 14, 6. So I want to ask you, it's also listed in your notes so we can read it together, and also so that we can think about it repeatedly. So let's read it together, and then we'll come to it later as we make our way through. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In fact, I'd like to ask you, if you would, you mind just saying it a couple more times with me, and then I'm going to ask you to close your Bible so you're not looking at it, no cheating, and we're going to actually try and say it, because I would love it if long after this message is over, you remember Jesus and what he said. So, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One more time. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what I want us to think about today. Jesus is the way to the Father. And he's going to talk about this in these verses. And so if you would, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to make our way through this passage, and then we're going to talk about it. The reason I want to move quickly today is before we take communion, I want to talk about how we can apply Jesus being the way to the Father. You know, because otherwise that's just head knowledge. Otherwise that's just regurgitation, memorizing Bible verses, and that's okay to a point. But if we don't walk out of here different because Jesus is the way, then we miss the whole point. So let's pray that we don't do that. Lord, now I pray that you'd give me strength to teach your word with power greater than my own. In fact, I pray you would be the teacher. I pray you would come to every seat, and I pray that you would reveal Jesus to us. So we thank you that you can do that, and we pray this with a prayer of expectancy. And everyone agreed and said, amen. Now, let's make our way through. If you're following along the notes, I want you to see how Jesus comforts his disciples and then how we can learn from this encounter. So let's uh, look. If you're following first, let me share with you that first idea. You know, he's been saying that he's going away. So here's what he says in these opening verses. 
He's going to his father's house to prepare a place for them. He's going to his father's house to prepare a place for them. This is interesting language. We don't think of the father and the son being co-equal, but in the Middle Eastern culture, it was shared and shared alike. So he's not saying that the father is superior to him. He's saying that they're equal, but he's going to his father's house. Now here's just something you may want to write down as a reference. In these 14 verses, he's going to refer to father 13 times. In all these five chapters of John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, he's going to refer to the father 53 times. Now in our culture, I'm not unaware of the fact that when people hear God and father, it's very confusing for some people. They've had a bad experience with their father or their father was anything but like God. But I want you to know that I've experienced that enough as a pastor over the years to know this, that even people that go through that kind of pain still long for a father. They long for the right kind of father. And Jesus knew that God the Father is that. And he talked so familiar about God the Father like none of the other religious leaders that it threw people off. They weren't used to hearing someone so great and so awesome being referred to like a family member and a close person. In fact, in the garden, just a few hours later, he's going to pray, Abba, Father. He's going to cry out to God. Abba was Aramaic for Papa, Daddy, Father. He's going to pray to him like that. So now he says, I'm going to go to my father's house. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Follow along if you would with me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now, this is interesting. He says, yes, I'm going away. But I'm not going away just to go away. I'm going away with a perf purpose. I'm going to actually be preparing something for you. You matter to me. I care about you. And I want you to know, you don't have to be afraid. This has been of great comfort to people over the years. And the word he uses for rooms sometimes is let people's imaginations go wild. It doesn't help that King James says mansions. Because people then all of a sudden now think the emphasis is on splendor and all these other kind of things more than it's on fellowship. The idea here is that there's enough rooms for everyone who will trust in me. There's enough room. And what happens in those rooms is going to be so rich because of the fellowship of the people that are there. I'm going to be there. The Father's going to be there. And we're going to prepare a place. You're going to feel so welcome because I'm going to prepare a place for you. Oh, man, can you imagine how this fell on their ears that night? You mean you're not going away completely? You're, you're going to be doing something that involves us? You're not going to forget us? Oh, man, that's good. Second thing I hope you see is that he says he's coming back to take them to be with him. Jesus comforts his disciples by saying he's coming back to take them to be with him. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now when he says that he's coming back, the idea here is that people wonder like when? Like later today? When? And this can mean several things. In fact, I think Jesus has all these in mind. First, I think he's coming back when he rises again three days after his crucifixion, just as he said. He'll come back then and make appearances to them over 40 days. And then the Bible says is that he's going to come back for every believer and take them to be with him. 
He will personally come. That's a comforting thought, isn't it, to know that when a loved one passes away, if they've trusted in Christ, Jesus comes back to get them, he says, that you may be where I am. And then the Bible talks about the second coming where both believer and unbeliever alike, every eye will see him, the Bible says. That will be a day on everybody's calendar. It will be on everybody's calendar. I'm coming back, he's saying. But when I come back, I'm not just coming back so that I can take you to heaven. Sometimes when we talk about our Father's house, we think that that's the sweet by and by, and it includes that, and there's going to be nothing better than that for all eternity. But what Jesus also has in mind here is that there is a way of knowing a fellowship with God the Father, both now and forever. Let me explain. Next week when Steve teaches on John 14, later in this passage, we're going to actually cross this verse. Look at verse 23, and look what Jesus says. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. This idea is that's the same word he uses for rooms. What he's saying is, is that when you begin to love me and trust me and obey me, we have a relationship. You and the Father and I have a relationship where we'll make our home with you. There will be this kind of sharing of life, this sharing of fellowship that you cannot match anywhere here on the earth without it. And I promise that. I can give that to you. The third thing that we see is that Jesus comforts his disciples this way. He's the way and the truth and the life, the way to God. Now, I know that's like five or six blanks to fill in, but I made it easy because like four or five of those are the same word. The, 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 the God. And here's the idea. What Jesus is going to say is not that I am a way, a truth, a life, an option. I am the way, the truth, the life, the way, and the only way to God. And this statement, (laughs) I don't think the disciples ever forgot hearing those words come out of his mouth. So let me read verse 5 and 6. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? We often call Thomas what? But you know, Thomas, what I love about Thomas is Thomas doesn't act like he knows when he doesn't know. Some of us are too proud to do that, and we miss out on things because we're afraid to ask questions. Thomas just goes, Lord, I don't know about the rest of the guys. Maybe they're faking. I don't know. And I want to just tell you, because of Thomas' honesty, Jesus launches into one of the greatest statements we have in the Bible. Now, one thing that makes me laugh is Jesus had just told them where he's going, right? Where's he going? To his father's house. But Jesus is a patient teacher. I've had friends say to me, how how come the disciples are so dull? Like, how come they don't, like, catch it the first time? And I don't know completely how to answer that for you, but I can tell you this. I don't get things the first time a lot. I don't expect on Sundays that you walk out of here going, I got all of that. Because I didn't even get all of that, and I'm teaching it. But the idea here is that sometimes I've walked with people where they, I've stood by people that literally a doctor had to tell them five times what was up with their family member because they were so tired, so exhausted, so grieved, so overwhelmed so troubled. And Jesus knows that. So he could have gone, Thomas, read 
my lips. I'm going to the Father. He could have said that, but he doesn't say that. Instead, what does he say? The verse that I hope we walk out of with today. So you ready to practice? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Awesome words. Thomas, if you're with me, you'll get to the Father. I am the way. And the truth, you know, that, that's a powerful phrase right there, friends, the truth. Last week we saw that Jesus tells the truth. It's one thing to tell the truth. It's another thing to be the truth. This means that there was no sin in him. This means that when he was God's sacrificial offering on our behalf of sin, that's why he could look at people and say one day, which of you can point out any sin in my life? Try that sometime with your wife or family members. Try it. They'll come up with something. My family will. If I say, point one sin out to me. They say, where do I start? Like with Jesus, he could literally stand in front of even his enemies and say, show me where in any way I haven't been. The truth. Absolutely true. And the life. Friends, we hear all the time, oh, that's the life. That's the living. Jesus goes, I beg to differ. I'm the life. A relationship with me is living. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some people go, that's like so narrow. You know, if you're trying to find a station on the radio, the old days, and you were trying to like turn the dial, didn't you have to be narrow to get the right station? No one argued about that. I think they should give me a much wider option of getting that station. No, friends, there's only some things that are right. And Jesus knew that. So notice the next thing he says in verses 7 through 9. He says, to know and see me, if you're following along, he says, to know and see me is to know and see the Father. This is incredible. Verses 7 through 9, let me read it. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. This is very funny to me. The Bible has humor in it. I don't know if you always see it, but when Moses asked to see the glory of God, God said, I, I can't show you my glory like straight on. If you see my face, it'll kill you, but I'll show you my back. I'll show you the back of my glory. Moses goes, that's pretty awesome. Now Philip goes, you know, Jesus, if you can just work it out to show me God, you know, the Father, that'd be enough for me. I think that'd cover it. Yeah, I'll say. I'd more than take care of it. And Jesus just goes, <laughs> Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And this is so powerful. You know, I was once in a seminary class, and a guy said, you know, if you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. I've listed some verses out to the right later in the notes that talk about how Jesus is the exact representation of God. That all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus bodily. This is an awesome thing. That someone walking the earth would be completely one with the Father, and the Father would be completely one with them. And Jesus is saying, we are, I didn't get started in Bethlehem in the manger. I got started before time started. I'm eternal. But I've come to walk this planet that I can bring grace and truth into your lives. Oh, man. And so 
It's, the next thing I want you to see is that he points to his words, like we just saw in verse 10, and works as evidence of his deity. He points to his words and works as evidence of his deity. Verse 11, let me read the rest of that. He says, believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Friends, anybody, seriously, we could walk out of here today and start walking around town and saying, I am God. God is in me. I am in God. I'm one with God. I am, you know, deity. And we might be arrested. But if not, eventually, any thinking person is going to say, give me proof. You got to back that up. You can't just go around talking like that. And Jesus says, if you want evidence, you know from my words that there's a different tone of authority in this. And you know if you've been watching the miraculous signs and the work I've been doing with people, it's evidence. Let those things, believe at least in those things pointing you to me. And the last thing I hope you'll see is that he says, anyone who trusts me will do the works I do and greater. This is amazing. This would be worth spending time on for the rest of the hour, but I need to move on. I tell you the truth, he says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And Jesus is saying some powerful things right here. He's saying first, I know you're troubled, but your days are not over. Your life is going to get greater. You are going to be able to know me in ways, whether I'm physically here or not, that I'm going to work in and through your life. You're going to be able to do similar things like I'm doing with people, and you're going to be able to do even greater things. And the disciples would, in fact, do that. And you and I have been able to be part, now that Jesus has gone to the Father, of sharing this good news in Vienna, Austria, in Madrid, Spain, in Springfield, Illinois, and people are still coming to know Jesus Christ. And if that is not a powerful testimony to how Jesus Christ is who he says he is, I don't know what is. I still never get over a changed life by Jesus Christ. And he's doing that these days, friends. It's awesome. So what do we do with this? Jesus says, I am the way. You remember the Bible verse still? Can we try it again? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I am the way to the Father. Let me just make a couple comments, and then I want to spend the rest of our time applying this. First, it means that he is the way to God the Father is a person. That the way to God the Father is a person, a divine person, no less the second person of the Trinity. But through a personal relationship with him, you and I can come to the Father when I, when I was a pastor out in Iowa for about six and a half years, and I was first getting used to the whole how to find farmers out in their different acreages and stuff like that, they'd, they'd tell me on Sunday at church, okay, just meet me out, you know, in my farm field or meet me at this place, and they would give me these directions, and I, my head would spin. I mean, I couldn't picture where that corn bin was or that tree was, and so I just remember thinking, myself, oh, Lord, I'm going to get lost. Sometimes those farmers would say to me, tell you what, I'll take you. I always got there. I always got there. Because when I went with the person who knew the way and was the way, I got there. And Jesus says, I want you to know this is personal. This is a relationship with me. The other thing I want you to see is that he is saying that Jesus and God are one. They're a package. 
We're one. You can't say, well, I like God, but I'm really not jazzed about Jesus. Friends, you want to upset people nowadays? Say Jesus a lot in our culture. He's offensive to people. And I don't know why, because if you meet Jesus, some of the ways he shared these, even this I am the way, he never said it in a pompous, pushy way, but sometimes we as Christians have, and maybe that's why. But Jesus himself, man, he says, I am the way. And now people say, I, I, don't, I don't want to be told that. I don't like that. He says, we're a package deal. And next week we're going to see that the package actually includes God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when you get one, you get all three. And you cannot imagine the life that comes with those three in one. God, three in one. The last thing I want you to see, and C.S. Lewis put it so well, he said, really, there's three possibilities. Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. Really, you can't, you can't just decide what you want to do with Jesus any old sloppy way. Listen to what he writes in Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, friends, we said it earlier. Jesus says this incredible, towering thing that still is echoing through the halls of history. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I've grown up, I was taught to memorize those words. But what does that mean when he says, trust in God, trust also in me? If I'm the way to the Father, what does it mean to trust? And too often in our culture, we think that means to intellectually agree, to mentally assent and go, oh yeah, yeah, I think he is. But the Bible doesn't say that understanding is enough. And so Steve and I, over the years, have shared a story with you. You've probably heard it from other teachers, too. We love to remember and recount the story of Blondine, the famous French tightrope walker, who years ago stretched a cable from the American side across to the Canadian side, across the roaring Niagara Falls. Did some of you earlier this year see a guy do that late at night? I, I just That was one of the most staggering pictures to me, a, a, a guy, a believer that did that. But this guy, years ago, it had never been done before. And so Blondine, as he made his way each day, the crowds would gather on both sides. They were just stunned at his ability as they watched him. He not only crossed the tightrope one time, another time he did it blindfolded. Another time he actually rode a bike. Another time he pushed a wheelbarrow and back. And the crowd was going, you are the greatest. One day after pushing the wheelbarrow back, and, and he came back to the people and said, how many of you believe that I can push a wheelbarrow with a human being in it there and back? They went, 
Oh, we've watched you. We understand your abilities and skills. You can do it. He says, great. Who will be the first to volunteer? <laughs> now, see, at that point, everybody got quiet. They understood the difference between agreeing and trusting. Because really, only the people that really trusted him would what? Get in the wheelbarrow. Now, let's just, I thought about that. Yesterday morning, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning as I was thinking about this, and I sensed that I was supposed to share a story that I heard 25 years ago. And I, you'll have to decide whether or not I was hearing from God or had had some bad pizza the night before. <laughs> but what happened is, is that let's just change this scene and let's just imagine this uncrossable chasm. And uh, let's just imagine that all of sinful humanity is on the Canadian side. And God is on the American side. Now, I just wanted to make sure I didn't unnerve anybody there by putting God on the Canadian side, okay? But, so let's just imagine all of sinful humanity and God here on the American side cries out one day and says, listen, all of you, all of you people that are on the other side, you matter to me. You matter to me. And even though you've sinned against me and failed many ways, you still matter to me. And I want to give you 24 hours to come across to my side and enjoy fellowship with me and live with me forever. 24 hours. And I've made arrangements for my son, Jesus, to come across on the cable with the wheelbarrow to take you across to be with me. There is no other way. But I've made arrangements for him to pay for your sins by dying on the cross in your place, shouldering your punishment and the sins of every one of you. And now everything's been completed. Everything's been accomplished that needs to be accomplished. All that remains is for you to get into the wheelbarrow and let him bring you across so that you might enjoy fellowship with me now and forever. It's not enough to understand what my son has done. I'm asking you one by one to trust my son and let him bring you across. And you can imagine this, this would have created quite an interesting scene. So Jesus comes across on the cable there on the wheelbarrow with the wheelbarrow and he stands facing that sea of humanity and he says, I know you know who I am. I know you understand what I've done for you by dying on the cross on your behalf. And I'm asking you to get into the wheelbarrow. There is no other way. I've done everything necessary for you. It's not enough to understand. You need to put your trust in me. You need to get in. You need to let me take you across. Will you get in? Dead silence. You know why that makes all of us get quiet? Because as self-righteous, self-driven, self-made, independent-spirited people, all of us are hesitant to entrust our life and our future to someone else. And we'll hold on to that as long as we can. So, four hours passed by. No one's gotten in. Now people are starting to get nervous. The time's winding down. So, 
in that sea of humanity, there's several groups. And so the intellectuals all begin to huddle together and they begin to intellectualize. Is there really a God over on the other side? Is there really a chasm? Is there really man? Is there really is? Is. Then there's the activists. They're ripping off their shirts. They're testing the water. They're trying to figure out that if they swim really fast and really hard at an angle, maybe they can get across. And then there's the hardballers. They light up a cigarette, they pull out a can of beer, and they curse a little. And they say, you know, I, I, don't, I think God's bluffing. I, I think we've got more than 24 hours. I'm not afraid. But they smoke a lot. And they drink a lot. And then there's the people that say, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think I might be able to build my own bridge, the engineers. And then there are the wheeler dealers. They're on their cell phones trying to call and see if they can get a helicopter to charter them across. And then there's people that just get high and get wasted, hoping that they can just drown out that reality. There's other people that they just worry and fret a lot. No one's ready to trust Christ. Finally, in the crowd, a young man steps forward and he says this. He goes, face it. Face it, everyone. There is no other way. Jesus is the way across to the Father. And I'm going to get in. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to let him take me across. I have nothing to lose. I believe that he did pay for my sins. I believe that he does have the authority to lead me across. I'm going I'm to give him a shot. And then he looks into the face of Jesus and he says, Jesus, I trust you. I know you are who you say you are. And I'm asking you, take me across. Take me across. You know what happens. Next, we all know what happens. Jesus wheels him across, doesn't waver even a bit. He gets across to their side. He presents him to the Father as acceptable to God. They embrace. There is joy unspeakable. And they begin to experience a kind of fellowship that God always hoped for for his people. And in the midst of all that celebrating and joy, the young man looks back and he sees the sea of humanity and he says, listen to me. Look at me over here. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. He is the only way. Give him a shot. Get in the wheelbarrow. Let him bring you across. Don't miss out on the fellowship that he wants for you in his father's house. And friends, I just stand before you today and say this. I feel like that young guy. As a pastor's kid, I thought there were some ways that I could swim real fast at an angle. There were wheeling and dealing ideas that I had. I thought, man, I'm going to keep my independence. I'm going to figure out a way to be good enough for God. All those different things. 
And I realized that God the Father had me pegged. He knew that I needed the way, and he provided it. And so over a period of humbling things that happened to me, and by his grace, he showed me that Jesus is the way. He's the only way to the Father, but that I can't just agree with that. I need to demonstrate trust. I need to get in and let him bring me into this new relationship. So when I was 15 years old, I invited him to do that. And I want to make sure I tell you this. I've been troubled at times since then, but I'm still learning how to trust him day by day. He is the way to the Father, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one that compares. And if this is true, friends, I don't know if you agree with me. I don't know if you believe this. I don't know where you are. But if this is true, if this is true, then the last mention in the notes is this. You want to fill this in. This is true for you and me. What I do with Jesus is the most important thing about me. Then what I do with Jesus is the most important thing about me. You may list other things that are important about you, but there's coming a day when what you do and what you've done with Jesus will be clear for you to see and everyone else to see. Is he the way for you? Have you trusted your life to him? I want to ask you just to bow your heads with me. And in just a moment, when we take communion, you're going to have more time to think about this. But I wonder if there aren't some people here today that while we were thinking about that together, or while you've been hearing Jesus' words, you know today is the day. You need to trust Jesus as the way to the Father, or you need to trust him in a fresh way in your troubled times so that you can know that fellowship with the Father in a renewed way. So I want to just ask you if you pray along with me. It's in your heart to do so. Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I am a sinner. No doubt about it. It's true about me. But I also know that I need a Savior. And you've taught me that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. He came to be the way to you, Father, and fellowship with you. And I'm asking that you will let him take me across and bring me into this relationship with you, this fellowship with you, that I can begin both now and forever to know what I've been missing by trying to do life on my own. Thank you so much that as I demonstrate my trust in you today and in the days ahead, that you, that you can be trusted. In your name we pray. Amen.